1: Welcome to a very special episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu. I'm here with Agent Smith, Mr. Bilyeu. What is up? Let's rock and roll. All right. We're talking about Gerard Adams. Gerard Adams. So welcome,
0: everyone, on Facebook Live. This is After Impact. This is the show where Tom and I go deep into the episode of Impact Theory. Discuss it, pull it apart, unpack it, answer your questions about it as well. So thank you for joining us. We're talking about Gerard Adams today. The episode is called defining the entrepreneur of tomorrow, which is something he is set on a mission to do. If you don't know who he is, he is known as the millennial mentor and the voice of Generation Y. He's an entrepreneur, has had several businesses, he's a marketer. Um, He originally founded Stockspot, which was worth $10 million in 2008 before the stock market crashed, and then he lost everything. Then he went on and founded Elite Daily, which is an online publication um, catering to a millennial audience, which he sold to the Daily Mail for $50 million. So had a big payday there. And now he's doing something called Founders. That's F-O-W-N-D-E-R-S. Correct. Which is a social enterprise startup accelerator in Newark, New Jersey. Um, Really cool stuff. And to top it all off, he has a great head of hair. (laughs) Gerard Adams. So I had to
1: say it. Yes. Um, That he does. What an interview. What an interview, and what a guy, really, really uh, fond of him. He's amazing.
0: Yeah, really cool. So I want to kick it off with um, you know, something he said about his parents. So he told a story about when he lost everything, mm-hmm. and he... Um, wasn't sure what to do. And he didn't know how to be vulnerable. And his mom came to him and told this beautiful story about when she was growing up and their house or their apartment bur- burnt down, right. lost everything and they had to start over. And I think it was that that's what really drove him to pick things back up, pick himself back up and, and work hard to build something again. So I want to ask, um, what, what do you think you should do when you don't have that kind of role model as parents?
1: Um, I, there's so many stories out there you know there I love the quote, "A fool never learns, a smart man learns from his mistakes and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. It doesn't just apply to mistakes. like mm-hmm. there are plenty of people that have amazing stories they've overcome massive adversity. And to be able to tap into that and to read books, like in fact, one of the things that we talked about in the episode, by the way, did they ever get there? So in the episode, I said, look, we're going to send you 100 copies of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is one of the most important books I've ever read. And I think anybody should read that. And it's about a neuroscientist of all people that ended up in a concentration camp during World War II. I actually traveled, I believe, between five different ones and ultimately uh, was freed from Auschwitz. And he talks about like what that process looks like and how you stay motivated even in something that horrific. And I've extracted so much value from that book and his story, and I've extracted value from you know countless other people, including Gerard, that have had obviously much uh, less adversity, but nonetheless, like just really incredible stories that you can leverage in those moments. So you don't need Gerard's mom to be there in your own life when Gerard is out there telling a story and countless other people are telling their stories of how they've overcome hardship, how they've doubled back down, how they've refocused, mm-hmm. um, how they developed tenacity, all that to overcome. Nice. Um,
0: so the other part of his story is that he was a bit of a troublemaker. He yeah, himself I was as a such. little surprised by that. Yeah, getting into fights, and then, of course, he opened up on this episode, which he said he hadn't talked about much, about how he, for a brief time, got into selling weed right. a little bit and had this moment where he knew that was, you know... He had this flash of insight that this is the wrong path. Yeah, the cop's banging on his car window, gives you said flash of insight. Exactly. So, again, if you um, haven't seen the episode, you got to go check that out. It's it's a great story. But I wanted to ask, why do you think, and this is sort of a a stereotype of a lot of um, successful entrepreneurs, is that they're um, troublemakers. Why do you think so many of them have gone on to become successful?
1: Um, Well, so I think that's survivorship bias, right? So I think the vast majority of troublemakers go on to do nothing productive, and they continue to be troublemakers in a very diffuse, um, unfocused way, and I don't think it is naturally advantageous. I think that there is a very small minority of people who have that inclination to be a troublemaker, to question authority, to always push back, And they realize at some point that that instinct can serve them well when it's focused in a way that's like pushing back against the rules, not accepting what other people tell you, that they're they're just less likely to slip into the sort of societal pressures of you should be this way. And because of that, they're able to act in ways that are outside the box, that are different, that are unique and in doing that, they're going to be able to carve a new path. And it's, it's that sort of even just intellectual or social innovation that allows them to then build something because they're moving into an uncrowded space just because mm-hmm. nobody else has done it before. Um, but I don't think that uh, while I think it's a necessary behavior to learn as an entrepreneur, I don't think that all troublemakers translate into entrepreneurs. I think you'd find it's a it's a. Of all the troublemakers in the world, it's a very small percentage that go on to be
0: successful. Correlation is not causation. Exactly. Fair enough. Uh, We got a question here from Daniel Breeze on Facebook. What's up, Daniel? Live, like right now in the moment? Yes. Or is this, wow, we're already getting rolling in. It says, hi guys, I have a question about leadership. A good leader should take full responsibility for his team. So if a teammate or employee is not doing a good job, that means the leader did not explain things properly or create the right environment. But where is the line? When is it finally time to say, I have to let you go?
1: Well, so uh, that is the magic question. And I don't think, uh, yeah, I've never met anybody that I felt like, yeah, you really know the perfect moment. And and I will very much include myself in that. And especially when you're going for um, culture, like that's really big. And you want like, here's, here's where it gets hard. So I want everyone here to feel safe meaning like that you're you don't constantly feel like oh god like i'm going to lose my job like you really want to know i can fuck up and i can fuck up pretty bad and as long as like everyone knew my intentions were right and i was like really working my ass off that i'm going to be given that safe space to learn from that grow and develop that that to me is so important and in that you're going to also create a safe space for people to um, be careless mm. and reckless yeah. and I think it's better to protect that environment so the people that really have good intentions can make those mistakes knowing that I'm going to drag along some people that I probably should have let go to make sure that the right people have that safety. But it, it, you do get both. And so I, don't, I have yet to find the perfect answer to knowing when someone is being sincere and the, the mistake was you know, good intentioned and they're really trying to push. So um, some of it is trust your instinct and what I really look for are people that display linchpin behaviors. If you display linchpin behaviors, then I'm all about it. It's very easy to see that when you're a small group. It gets very difficult when you get bigger and so you really have to trust the people that are working directly with them. Um, and one question that I ask is, does this person contribute to the environment, which is very difficult to pin down, but asking the question, is this workspace more productive, um, more emotionally safe and harder charging? Cause I am looking for people that are really going to push. And in fact, I'm going to rat you out for a second. You said something yesterday and I actually loved it. And it was a, like, it was harsh. I've never seen you be like, so like cut and dry, but- um Somebody couldn't uh, be here yesterday because they had something to take care of, and they were actually then proving to be hard to get a hold of on the phone uh-huh. to be part of the call, and you said, "I'm not accommodating this again. If you want to be a part of this meeting, you've got to be here." And I was like, "My man, because there do there has to be standards, yeah. right? And so you've got to draw a line like you're i' I think you're one of the greatest managers I've ever encountered in my life. like you're so oh, thoughtful you. about you. like the team and like what's their path and like how do we help them and grow them i think you've got a strength there where i have a real weakness so i really value it um but seeing you draw a line was also very meaningful to me so there's all that nuance right of where you have to be encouraging welcoming uh but at the same time like there's got to be a behavioral standard and i think the group has to pounce on people that don't meet that behavioral standard. And when the group says this environment is not being made better by this person, then they have to go.
0: Yeah. So I have a follow-up question to that. So as a manager, um, and thinking about this a lot, like, when do you, you know, one of my goals, and I think a goal for any good manager is to set your employees up for success, right? Do whatever you can to make sure that they can be successful. And that could mean Training them, giving them more training, giving them more guidance, advising them, um, showing them a path if they need it. But when, when does it become a point where you're just propping someone up and how do you tell the
1: difference? It's, I really, really believe you could write it down and you could say, okay, here are the things. And they rate a seven here and an yeah. eight here and a 10 here, but a three here. I, I think it's gut, right? Mm-hmm. It's gut of how, how does this like my, your subconscious processes data So much more rapidly, and so they say vaster and faster. So the subconscious can take in just a massive amount of information, process it, and then it feeds you an emotion. So that emotion is literally the subconscious processes that are running about every interaction you've had with that person, accumulative over time, the Mm -hmm. times that they showed up and played, the times that they didn't. And I think really trusting your subconscious to feed you an accurate emotion is is a very good idea, and the employees that slowly became toxic for me, um, always before I acted consciously, my feeling about them began to change over mm-hmm. time. And it be, it started. They would show up in my office, and I would just have an uneasy feeling, right? And then that uneasy feeling would turn into, oh God, like I I don't want to see them. I don't yeah. want to interact. And like once you begin to trust yourself, that that's the subconscious saying, look on in total, like I've taken all the interactions, this is, this is gone now to a place that's not good, it's not happy, um, you should trust that and act on it. So if you've spent the time to train your instincts by having a code that you live by, by articulating to people what your expectations are, um, by really reassessing like what's going on in the organization, are we moving in the right direction, by asking yourself, Okay, I felt a weird twinge there. What is that? And analyzing it, you will get to the point where just knowing that, ooh, my feelings are changing here. And I've tried, like, I've gone through my, my uh, belief system. So, like, I see how you work with people and trying to set them up for success. So, if you can honestly answer, I've literally done everything in my power to set them up for success. And I accept that, the, you know, going back to the initial question, like, this is my fault. Fine. But given my current limitations, I can no longer be of service to this person. Now they're dragging the organization down. It's time to cut them out. Yeah. So the, the short answer is literally trusting the emotion that your subconscious pushes forth. And then what do you do to hone that? Because I, I find
0: that it's difficult to go from you have that gut instinct, but then like articulating that in a way that you can actually provide the feedback to that person and communicate to them why you're perceiving them that way
1: i think it's better to um so i'm going to set aside what you actually just asked me for a second and i'm going to answer the harder question which is what do you do when you you can't articulate it but your gut is screaming at you this person is damaging the environment meaning the environment of the company right so i feel the burden
0: is on you to still communicate something meaningful back to them about why you're making that decision. And
1: so let's say that you try, mm-hmm. and now we're at the edge of your ability, you've tried everything you can, like every ounce of what you know how to do, you have done and it is yeah. still not worked. At that point, even if you can't articulate it, you have to part ways. Like you've This is like, you've got to protect the overall organism. Mm -hmm. Um, because it becomes so toxic so fast, and then all the other like sort of healthy tissue, if you will, is looking at you going, you're letting this happen. You're letting the gangrene spread, and that then begins to erode your ability to lead and to manage, because people are losing faith in your ability to do the hard thing, which is all right, we get it, you're human, you have limitations, you're not the perfect manager, you're not the perfect leader, but we have a problem and you're not addressing it. And I have fallen prey to that so many times because I really, really feel it is my obligation and it's a failing on my part to help that person become who they need to be to thrive. And what I've had to realize is way better to accept I'm currently limited, I cannot succeed with this person, one of us like either the organism has to be thrown out or they have to go. Mm. And sure, this is entirely my fault, but I can't help you be successful here. Thank you so much. I, you know, Assuming they're not like out to really harm the organization, I wish you well and I will help you find somewhere else and I yeah. will help make this transition as seamless as possible. And because I really do accept a ton of the responsibility, I will be nothing but optimistic you know, and, and positive about all the things that I've seen you do that are great when trying to help you, you know, be a reference for you, yeah. um, but they got to go. Fair enough. Well,
0: that was a rabbit hole that was really good. Nice. Thank you for sure. Um, thank you, Daniel Brees for that question. that us you. Um, I'm not getting any more questions right now, but thank you. Uh, Facebook live audience. Just want to remind everyone we're here on after impact. This is the show where we dive deep into the episode of impact theory. And today we're talking about Gerard Adams, AKA the millennial mentor. Um, I got a question. So, Gerard had the opportunity, this is something you talk about in the episode, to retire in Miami, Mm. live the good life, never work again. And then at the last moment, he pulls out, he goes back to New Jersey, sets up founders, and starts putting in the work again to build something. Is there any better drug than progress?
1: I think it really might be one of the most fundamental building blocks to happiness. Mm -hmm. So not really i mean there's like i i would probably use slightly different wording like progress is so critical but progress in what i think matters mm-hmm. so progress in self-development and having a vision of who you can become and making progress towards that i think is wildly intoxicating um but there's like the, all of this stuff is nuanced right so it's also um Progress in, like, what are the goals that I've set out for myself? The worldly goals. Like, people have worldly goals, and are you making progress in that? Um, Progress in being able to close your eyes, imagine world, open them, and execute. Are you making progress in that? Um, Progress in, like, getting good at things that that just make you happy, right? Are you making progress in that? So there's, like, you could sort of boil that down to just progress in general, but I think that would be unfair. I don't think all progress is created equal. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, that's a big one. All right, cool. Um, There's
0: one subject you guys talk about, and you asked, Gerard, do do you identify as a born entrepreneur? Mm. Um, And I want to get your take on do you believe in born entrepreneurs?
1: Oh, for sure. I think there are born entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, so we are all wired, okay? So while the human, so here's the critical thing to understand about how I think and how I think everyone should think. We are not entirely blank slates, okay? Okay. I think we can all admit that there are some people who just aren't that bright. And then there's Einstein, right? Mm -hmm. So there's just the ability to process raw data, like we differ in that. There are some people who, um, you know, I use... Usain Bolt Usain Bolt I' have never exactly I don't Usain know. Bolt whatever yeah. uh, I'm gonna guess that just on a um, physiological level he can relax his hamstrings faster not because he's worked at it just as a kid he just could um, that's just how he's built but like even though we all start with like different gifts and stuff like that there's so much like unintentional environmental impact on that and then there's intentional like deliberate practice that you can do later in life. So humans have become the apex predator because we are the absolute best at adaptation. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean that way more on a neurophysiological level than I mean even on a physiological level that we can do both. But I think that our minds are, and, and I want people to imagine it as, as physically changing. So we can, our neurophysiology can rewire itself through a process called myelination, so incredibly well that the, where you start is so less important than how hard you're willing to work via the process of myelination. So discipline practice to really get good at something. The amount that you can change is so dramatic that I would say, and eh, like don't, like I'm not a born entrepreneur. And Gerard did not succeed because he's a born entrepreneur. He layered on top of his skills as a born entrepreneur to maybe get some early wins and that's probably why he's farther ahead like he's he's had a level of success much younger than I did and that's probably because he was a born entrepreneur and then that was intentionally or unintentionally reinforced by his parents being immigrants and like really pushing work ethic in him and I wasn't a born entrepreneur my parents weren't born entrepreneurs so that like unintentionally was instilled into me to be a good employee, to live for the weekends, you know, head down, do as little work as possible, avoid punishment at all costs. Like that's all the things that, that I learned. Right. Um, and so, but I trained my way out of that. So I think it would be foolish to say there are no born entrepreneurs, but people who say you either are or you aren't, that is so like, I'm going to be offensive for a second. It's so ignorant to the human condition, the way that humans actually work, Mm -hmm. that I'm surprised that people will say that it's binary. Mm -hmm. So unless people are willing to admit the gray of you can get better at anything, the question is how great can you get? I think it's pretty damn great. So you would say then that everyone is born something? I'll I'll say that everyone is born wired a certain way. Mm -hmm. And how does that early wiring and then reinforced by a family that may have similar wiring mm-hmm. um, push you like way down a path before you realize this is water? And so this is all hitting me right now in real time. So this is where I think the whole notion of this is water is so important. Your parents are probably stuck and they don't realize they're in water yet. So all the, their value system, their belief system... Um, that you know the man is holding you back or the system is working against you or whatever that belief system is, is reinforced by their sort of predisposition. So it feels so true because, let's say, maybe they're not a risk taker. Maybe they're a rule follower. And so falling in line with the system just feels right to them. It yeah. feels good. Yeah. Like think about somebody who they they love so much being an A student getting praise from the teachers for following the rules. So for them to hear people say the education system is broken it doesn't make sense, they're like, what? Like that wouldn't compute for them because it's been so emotionally rewarding. Mm -hmm. So this is water for them. They, They don't realize that All of that is, okay, they had a starting point that happened to match up to their parent's starting point, which happens to match up to the way that the world is. So everything, like they're actually enjoying themselves and having a good time. So there is nothing that sort of startles them out of that, that that makes them go, whoa, I'm, I am enveloped in a belief system that does not feel right to me. And therefore I'm going to reject it. Right. So if you take the matrix for a second, they said, we created this utopia where everyone was happy and... We lost entire crops because you rejected it. Like there was something hardwired into you to question the perfection of that existence. And I don't think there's anything necessarily universal like that, but I think that we all have that thing, right? So I have a real hard time with authority. Nobody told me to have a hard time with authority. I just always did. Mm -hmm. And so I was always pushing back against my parents. So the moment that like ideologies came in and the first ideology that I found that really like messed with my parents was Taoism and so that was the first I went really hard on Taoism around like 15 16 and partly because it was like pushing back against going to Sunday school and like all that and it just felt so much more right to me and and it fed into like me pushing back like everything in my little pocket of Tacoma like that wasn't like, that yeah. was not exactly a thing that people were into. So <laughs> it, it fed into my, um, my desire to push back and rebel against authority. Part of the reason that I hate yard work so much is because that was like in my house, you always had to do chores and like yard work was one of those chores. And I had to chop wood and carry wood and mow the lawn And I hated it so much, partly because someone had got to tell me what to do. And I didn't like that. Um, that that's like carried on this sort of Mm -hmm. lingering effect. So how rapidly you break out of this is water, I think has to do with how you're wired, early upbringing, and like if if those two align, I think you can stay trapped in water for a very long time. If there's a misalignment, like the example from The Matrix, you begin to question, and that questioning is the beginning of really taking control of who you want to become. Love it. Awesome. All
0: right, let's go to a question from Facebook. Um, This is from... Find a good one
1: here. Dead air, dead air. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: This is from Francisco Vergara. He says, hi guys. How do you feel about aggressively promoting a growth mindset in the midst of disadvantaged community communities, EG, the ghetto? I'm involved in an ambitious educational
1: project along those lines in South America and could use some insights. Um, yes, I think that people should be aggressively promoting it. But the question is, you're promoting the mindset, but how are you helping facilitate the actual exit from the ghetto? Um, and that's something that you know I'm really trying to answer with impact theory is, how do you create a, an invisible curriculum that people don't realize they're being educated that allows them to apply it in any direction they want to go? So because not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, not everybody wants to start their own company. And and in fact, I will say that it's like the math of it all. There's no way for everyone to be a leader. Okay, so if we know that not like literally not everyone can start their own company. Otherwise, like the fabric of society would break apart. And I don't think that that feeds into people's natural inclinations. So how do you not only teach? entrepreneurship in whatever form guys that comes in, but maybe more importantly, and this is becoming more and more interesting to me. How do you teach people to be linchpin employees mm-hmm. to where they are striving for greatness, but they want to be in an organization. They don't necessarily want to be out front. They don't want to be the one taking all the risk. They aren't necessarily a risk taker. They're not somebody who views the world like that. Um, So they're much better as the connective tissue of the organization, but really, really understanding uh, brain plasticity, the pursuit of greatness, and how they can maximize their own potential, at least be on a lifelong pursuit to do that. Um, So you have to give them those touch points where they can have that success, really taste it. And what does that look like in a world that I don't think currently on the, the come up, does not value a linchpin employee. And I think linchpin employees have to overcome a lot of resistance. Mm. Because what, what happens is, the person who owns the company, runs the company, they are so desperate for linchpin employees that they can't see straight. Because their life is on the line, right? Mm-hmm. Their house, like everything is on the line. Mm. And they're hungry for that. But then below them are people that they're not um, incentivized to have somebody make them sweat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of this breaks down is you get somebody who comes in, so let's say you've got like a middle manager, right? And they're maybe 15, 20 years into their career, and they've gotten into a comfortable place, they've accepted their rhythm in life, and now somebody comes along that threatens to take their job and to outshine them and make them look bad. Like the physics of the human mind says that person is not going to be rewarded by the people sort of nearly above them, right? Mm -hmm. Because those you're going to make them sweat. Right. So now you've got to get really nuanced at like, how do you help them win as well, but all the while not being afraid to pass them up. I almost got in a fist fight one time with somebody. This was back when I was just an employee and almost got in a fist fight and it was the whole you've changed because we came in at the same time and I just wasn't happy staying there and I wanted to work my way up. And so I was working like 90 hour weeks, sometimes more. They literally had to tell me and... I, so this is how it went. I was working so many hours, and I was getting paid hourly that I was making more money than other people above me. and I remember they came and said, "You, you can't keep doing that because now like, um, like that just doesn't like suit well for that person like it, it feels icky for them because they're on salary yeah. and, and so I was like, "What like i'm clocking so many hours." But then I thought, my goal here is to ascend right so fine i'll clock me out at whatever time you want but i'm gonna deliver an insane amount of value and so i would stay with this because this is back when i was teaching i would stay with the students until like 10 11 o'clock at night if they because i was the one that could keep the place open so it was like if they needed to stay and work like i would just stay 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 and like that to me like finding a way to deal with that and still like ascend is is a super critical skill. So, helping people going back to the initial question, helping people like understand how to play that game. So, I'm a big believer like I'm not interested in changing the system. I'm interested in looking at the system and going, okay, this is the way the world works right now. Awesome. Now I'm going to succeed within that. And that's why dude, when I saw people occupying Wall Street, I was like, uh, what? Like you're putting your energy into trying to break the system? The quote if you want to build something new, don't spend any of your time trying to tear down the old. Spend all of your time trying to build the new. Like that That's just like my life philosophy. So yeah, I'm getting really far afield. This is a very interesting topic, but I will end it there. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: You touched on something that I wanted to discuss. And, um, you know, Gerard didn't come from parents who were entrepreneurs, um, but they worked really hard. And he said that.
1: I think his mom was a bookkeeper, if I'm not... Uh... I don't think so. His dad worked in an insurance company, and his mom, it sounded like, worked in a grocery store. Okay,
0: I'm not sure what she did, but he did say that she went to work every day, she liked her job, mm-hmm. she, um, uh, she you know, dressed nicely, she had a lot of pride in her work. and I wanted to ask, what role does pride play for linchpins?
1: I think pride is critical for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that um, pride becoming one of the seven deadly sins, um, there is something in there that like, it can get icky, like when insecurity and pride are wound tightly together, and so someone is, uh, I've never had to articulate this, when you have a fixed mindset, and you're proud of something that holds you and others back, that's when pride is a fool's errand. But you need pride. You have to feel good about yourself. You need to have really strong self-esteem and so it becomes really critical what you build your self-esteem around, mm-hmm. and that is totally malleable. You can just decide I'm gonna be I'm gonna build my self-esteem around being smart. I'm gonna build my self-esteem around being right. Like those are dangerous and will get you into horrific positions. But you can build your self-esteem around being the learner, being willing to admit when you're wrong, mm-hmm. identifying the right answer. Like those things are anti-fragile. So. You have to be very, very careful. So, more than I would say that pride in and of itself is critical for a linchpin, building your self esteem around something that is anti fragile and moves you towards your goals is critical for a linchpin.
0: Nice. All right. Let's go over to our Facebook Live community again. Uh, I'm not sure who's giving me questions now. I'm getting questions both from Cindy and Chase. Nice. Um, let's see. Are you, buddy. Chase about to throw down, I think. It's from Jumani, our friend. Jumani in the house. Yeah. He says, I appreciated hearing Gerard's father giving him tough love. Um, and this is in response to his father finding out that Gerard was selling weed at the mm-hmm. time. So many successful men have been loved by their mother and have had an absent father. How do you think the absence or presence of a father's
1: love plays
0: into a man's success or
1: failure? You know, that's a really good question. I don't feel that I'm necessarily... Um, qualified to answer that so I was very fortunate to grow up with both parents Um, and my gut instinct is that one just masculine energy for a guy is going to be important but feminine energy I think is also important Mm -hmm. and getting both of those whenever possible in whatever way possible so if you don't have a father but you have a father figure like that probably works just as well Um, I think that From what I've seen, read, people I've gotten to know very well that grew up without a father, um, very much there is an anger to that a lot of times, and that chip on the shoulder can serve or destroy, so it really comes down to how that person internalizes that and how it drives them and all that. Um, And and I'll stop there just because I don't don't feel that that's particularly something I understand well. Fair enough.
0: Um, We got confirmation from our audience, our wonderful Facebook audience, that she was indeed a bookkeeper. thank you Daniel. there we go Um, and I just want to say thanks again for everyone showing up and share that we do have merch in the store if you want to go check it out we got shirts we have mugs momentum matter shirt that Tom is wearing um, and we're gonna be constantly updating that and putting out new designs and we want to hear your feedback what do you like what do you don't like what do you want to see on a shirt what kinds of things would inspire you that you would be inspired to wear um, we want to know nice. so we can go out and create them.
1: And we're going to be taking designs. Um, Casey and I, who I believe I see walking. Hi, Casey. Uh, we are working on getting the terms of service so people know exactly like how it pays out and all that stuff. Right. Um, so uh, we'll all just pressure Casey a little bit to, to get us a lawyer to draft it up and get it on the website. Hopefully we can do that in the next, say, 10 to 14 days. Um, and then we can start accepting designs and get Very crazy.
0: Cool. Very cool. All right, here is a, this is a long one. Let's see if I can um, shorten it a little bit, but it's from Margaret Rose. She has a question about millennials and organizational culture. Mm-hmm. So we have a blend of early, early career slash millennials and established mature folks in our company, and yet we are trying to, <laughs> that was a very PC way of saying it, um, in our company, and yet we are trying to establish an, one overall culture. These different demographics come at challenges from a different place. Um, We have a bit of a culture clash and are having trouble transcending it. Any ideas about how to blend energy, passion, and change the world idealism of early career folks into a more established regimented environment without asking them to conform to our old ways or losing what makes them so special?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is where you there are things at the macro level about millennials that i think are important to be aware of and then there are things at the macro level of um what am i gen x of gen x that's also important to understand but at the end of the day you've really got to dig into the specifics of what is the company culture are we conveying that right from the beginning and then what are the physics of human beings so Yes, at a macro level, I think um, millennials have a different perspective, and Simon Sinek summed it up so wonderfully in the interview that we did that went insanely viral. And if you haven't seen it, go to uh, impacttheory.com, and you can watch- Forward slash blog. And you can see the millennial question being answered um, just amazingly well by Simon Sinek. But at the same time, like the physics of being a human apply way more radically. So um, dig into Vanessa Van Edwards, um, who's on the show coming out in probably three or four weeks. And I think that's way more important to understand. Like what what is that person motivated by? Um, What are they, what's their language of um, praise that they understand, understanding what they want? Like what are they trying to be? And then making sure that you communicate the culture of the company. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Um, what are we trying to achieve? Having a grand vision as a company, I think that's very important. Making sure that that's communicated. Looking at your onboarding process, so people really understand like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and then not segregating people by age. Making sure that you're getting people together in the mix with respect. And you know, this is where it comes down to the individuals. If the Gen Xers and above don't respect the millennials, you're gonna have a problem. And if the millennials don't respect the other people, you're gonna have a problem. And that comes down to how everybody treats everybody. If everybody has a growth mindset, um, is open to new ideas, and runs everything through the filter of, okay, here's our company mission. Whose idea is actually gonna move us towards that company mission? And then holding yourselves accountable to that and let the best idea win. Like when I think back to Quest and you know, when we, we were big and it be like in the early days it wasn't hard to manage the generation gaps as we got bigger it was like does everybody understand what we're trying to do as a company does everybody actually believe in it and is everybody operating with a growth mindset like if we bake that into the onboarding process if we bake that into like the company culture like are those things real enough that everybody is holding each other to that standard because i think if you're doing that then it doesn't really matter like i don't have a hard time I, don't, I certainly don't have a hard time with any one person. I'll back up, this is a much easier way to explain it. When I was working the line and actually making protein bars every day, it was me and a bunch of millennials. And millennials are supposedly lazy, they're supposedly entitled, but if you're around me, fuck that noise. Like we are trying, like, here's our goal for the day. We're going to produce this many bars and you're going to see what hard work looks like because I'm going to set the bar. And then people want to impress me. They want to be on my team. They want to be like a part of it. So now they're trying to work as hard as me. And then when somebody's being lazy and that's fucking everybody else up, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is the standard. Look at like, how hard I am work. My hands were cramping clothes last night. It had me awake at four in the morning. Did I come in here and bitch or did I come in here with a smile like ready to fucking work and also having shown so much respect, giving credit to people like when somebody did something outstanding like really going over the top like oh my God, like you're crushing it. It's amazing and really... Um, Letting everybody know what the culture is, how to uplift everybody, that we're a team, that you need to celebrate people's victories, you need to give them a safe space to grow and develop, not to punish mistakes, but that we don't fucking tolerate laziness under any circumstance. And so it was like, they knew, like before the 25 bullet points got written, they knew what they were. Like we talked about it, it was part of the onboarding process, it was part of like our everyday life. And because of that, like you may have been the laziest, most entitled, most stereotypical millennial the day before you started working with me. But the day after, like you wanted to fit into the community. And so the the group, there was so much group pressure to be a certain way. And that was goal-oriented, growth-minded, hardworking, team-oriented. And it was just, I can't tell you the amount of cultural pressure that there was to conform to that. And so literally, literally, we had Bloods and Crips on the same line, wow. there was just no room for that. Like we were yeah. working so hard, and it was so clear what we were trying to accomplish, that it's just, it just—it was never a problem. That's amazing. If I were to sum that up, I would—I
0: would, I would say—and correct me if I'm wrong—that it's uh, you establish culture by um, from the top, and you do it by example, primarily. I mean, you have to have the messaging. And And as you grow,
1: then it's like, so take us, for instance, right now we're super small. So everybody literally can hear me. Now they see my work ethic. So like just very easily, everyone has slipped into that same routine. Everybody busts ass. Everyone here works really hard, believes in the mission, all that. But now project out five years and we've got 150 employees or 250 employees. Suddenly, if the management structure has not totally bought in to what we're doing, what our work ethic is, all that. Like it It'll begins to fall down. apart. Yeah. Oh, and it, it, it's so brutal. And uh, look, I'm not saying it's easy. This was the thing I struggled with the most at Quest and felt like, wow, like we grew so fast that I didn't really have my arms around it. Um, it's, it's not easy, but it is exactly what has to happen. Like there's no substitute.
0: And do you screen for people when you're interviewing who you think can adapt to that culture or... I try, but
1: drive is the one thing. um, In fact, I think Gerard and I talked about this. Drive is the one thing I don't know how to identify in an interview. I literally don't. And the only way is to work side by side with somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, if um, I could grab David Goggins, that person, and myself, and, like, go out and do the damn thing and, like, really suffer and... Um, let them see the standard that I hold myself to and then see like, hey, do I want to play? Like that would work. You know, if you could go do a hard week with somebody and let them see like what we're really expecting and I remember I used to, um, I really, really tried to say you had to come work for us for a week before we would hire you. It's very hard obviously for people to take that week off. A, and B, we were hiring so fast that like it just wasn't realistic Um, but Every step away from doing that is a mistake. Mm. And you end up with people that they're just not, they don't value it. And so I won't even ask them to believe that it's the right way to live. It is. But I won't ask them to believe it. Um, But if they don't value that, like that, that is the problem. It's not like the millennial, like, and um, like the different generational stuff, I promise will we'll go by the wayside when everyone is bought into the mission and the work ethic. Nice. All right.
0: Uh, a couple shout-outs here on Facebook from Chris Berry in Springfield, Illinois. Chris Berry in the he house. He says, nice beard, Agent Smith. <laughs> Thanks, a heavy Chris. beard. A heavy yeah, beard. Like, it's, this is it's the, getting a little long. It's, it's getting, getting a little, a little out long. of control. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to second that notion. Sure. Yeah, um, it'll probably come off this week. Uh, but thank you, Chris. Uh, Manuela from Austria. Hello. Lauren Taylor in Denver, what's up LT, and Joshua Martel in virtual reality. Nice. What's up, Josh? Our man with a plan. Um, okay, let's do another question from, or let's do a question from Josh, actually, Joshua. I had parents that loved me very much, but never pushed me to progress. Everyone is really interested in this uh, mm. parents shaping identity topic, and allowed me to give up every time there I met a resistance. Um, I only learned to push myself after coming in contact with Inside Quest. Tom, where who do you think you would be if your mom didn't push you to get out, even though she she expected you to fail? Do you think
1: your laziness would have won without that push? Man, that is a hard question to answer. So my life would be very different if she hadn't pushed me to go to that school, because I don't think I ever would have ended up in LA, um, which is a little scary. But, and I have to really think about like, so in my household, it was straight A's were the only thing that were acceptable. And now that trained me to be very clever. I won't say that it trained me to actually work hard. It trained me to get smart about how I got my grades. Um, So I built really strong relationships with very smart friends who helped me oftentimes just by like, here's my homework, copy it. Um, And other times tutoring me if it was... um, because I won't say that, like, I didn't have an inherent desire to cheat. Like, I didn't want to cheat. I would much rather have learned it, and so there were things that I really did learn, Um, but at the same time, like, when two things were in conflict, like, if there was a girl that I wanted to talk to, and that meant that I was going to have less time to do my homework, and then I found it harder than expected, and so I wasn't able to finish everything, I would just know in the back of my mind, oh, okay, well, I'm still going to get the A. I'm still going to, like, you know, get my friend to help me um, get through, but in my house, like, A's were it. That was it. Mm -hmm. And so that was good. That pressure was awesome. And then you were going to college. Like it was never like a, oh, like, well, do you think you'll go? Like you were going to college. And so that was my water. Right. I didn't even see it. Like I remember when one of my friends was like, yeah, I'm not going to go to college. I was like, you can not go to college. (laughs) It literally, I remember thinking it was like this dumbfounding moment where I was like, it never occurred to me that I could not go to college. Um, so that kind of like excellence is the only answer. There's no question that like filtered into my system somehow, yeah. but like the one thing that I have a really hard time, like pinpointing who gave me this thing was when I went to college, I said, because this is, this is my passion and the thing that I supposedly want to learn and I'm, um, gonna walk away with debt, a or F sink or swim. I'm not going to cheat. I need to learn this. I don't know what made me finally go actually getting good is the only thing that matters. I don't remember where I picked that up mm-hmm. so that, and and I don't like that because I want to believe that you can learn anything. I don't want to think that anything was like, there was just some part of my brain that was pre-wired for that. So I wish I actually could remember having read it in a book or something. Um, but that's the one thing, the one like sort of swing that, Everything in my life hinged on that moment clicking over finally and saying, I'm just going to work. And when I hear other people's stories of college, they're so foreign to me. Yeah. I didn't go. Um, I wasn't in a fraternity. I didn't go to parties ever. I didn't uh, date at all. I didn't have a single drop of alcohol. Like lit for four years, all I did was work. And that set uh, a stage of willingness to suffer, delay gratification, obsession with goals, um, getting great because I was in film school. Like there was a real scarcity mindset. Like only so many people are going to go out into the real world and get to direct. So being great here in school is like absolutely critical. So that notion of wanting to be the best and all of that, like those 4 years were like this hardcore transition. It was the first time in my life I lost a lot of weight. Like most people put on weight, I lost like 35 pounds my freshman year. It was crazy. I came home and my mom was like, "You look sick." <laughs> it was like, but I was like, "What are you talking about? Like I'm so into this. This is amazing."
0: Yeah. I'll stop there. And do you think it was because because in high school, we know you weren't that way.
1: Not at no, all. You didn't work hard, correct? Um, but Did I ever tell you my cross country story? <laughs> So no, I didn't. It. So I was in cross country for four years, but I did it for a girl. Uh, at least the first year, all four years. No, sort of. So this is how it went. Really fast. First year, I literally did it because I wanted to be on the same team with her. Uh, but she was a senior and I was a freshman. It was my sister, one of my sister's friends, and so she graduates, and so I quit. And I'm like, yep, I'm done. No more cross country. I fucking hated it. And if it wasn't for her, never. Yeah. And but I had sort of become the team mascot, so I. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm wired. I love seeing other people win. So I would cheer people on so much of these races that it became like this thing. Like the whole team would come with me because I would just be so over the top. Come on. And so even though I was the slowest person in the league, not on my team, my friend, in the league, um, when I said I wasn't coming back the next year, one of the coaches was like, I don't think you understand how much you inspire people on the team. Like you got to come back because even though you're the slowest, you always show up and you do it. Now, what he didn't know was like I would hide in the bushes till the rest (laughs) of the team had run by and go get donuts. That's actually a terrifying but true story. Um, But he was like, you really inspire people, and so I ended up staying the rest of the four years because that meant something to me to like cheer people on and help them be successful.
0: But what I was going to ask is, do you think the changeover in college had something to do with the fact that when, when you got to USC, you saw that you had an actual shot, but it was a very small window. And so you said, I have to go hard on this. That's the only way I can get it.
1: Um, maybe the pursuit of excellence. But no, that's not true. What actually happened? There were a few key moments. So this is where beauty and rage began to develop. So I didn't get accepted into film school at first. Mm-hmm. So the, I didn't even know that you had to apply separately. That's how ignorant I was. Okay. My parents didn't help me with that process. I had to do it all on my own, which meant I did not understand any of it. And I did the least amount of work humanly possible. And if my friends hadn't been like giving me random pieces of information, like, you know, there are applications you have to fill out, you know, there are deadlines for those applications. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I had to do all of that. And, um, so I get into USC, but I didn't get into USC film school because I didn't even apply. And there's only two windows to get into film school, as an incoming freshman and as an incoming junior. Mm-hmm. So you're applying basically your junior or senior in high school, I don't even remember when they do it, um, or your uh, sophomore year in college. And so I came in as a freshman, now I started acting like I'd already been accepted into film school, it was the only thing that makes sense to me, I was just so convinced I was gonna make it happen. And you then start encountering people that have been accepted. They look at you, like you are a moron that you're not already in film school they look down on you like they're i it was like discrimination but like in the most offensive way like oh you haven't been accepted i can't tell you how gross and icky it was and that made me so angry it was like i would just sit in my room i'm gonna fucking crush all these people like i'm i am going to dominate these motherfuckers and i was so angry at the way that they looked down at me and i just i couldn't take it man i could not i was determined to show them and that served me and that's where like i just learned like hey beauty does a lot of great things but sometimes you just need to be so mad Mm -hmm. that you're not going to tolerate that you're going to win and so it really and i can actually remember the people I won't rat them out but I can remember the people where I was when they were treating me like that like yeah so okay fair enough that was part of it I won't say that was all yeah uh
0: let's try to get a couple more questions in from our Facebook live audience because they're being very active today thank you for showing up thank you guys um oh here's a shout out uh Alex Kovarubias is in the feed are you serious Alex Covarubius.
1: Everybody that's in the feed right now, and anybody watching this, Alex Kovarubius is one of the most extraordinary human beings I've ever met in my life. And many of the stories that I tell about being on the line and working like this—this this guy is a linchpin. Like he is one of the ways that we kept the Crips and the Bloods from like going after each other. He's an amazing. I have never seen human transformation as profound as this guy. I would tell you so much more of his story if it was mine to tell. It is his story to tell, but holy Lord, and I don't think he does anything socially, so there's not even anything for you to do with that information, but I feel compelled to point that out. Awesome. All right, so Alex, I love you like a brother, my friend. It is good to have you in the feed. I was just thinking about you, like today, we got to hang out, be rot You got to come to the house. In fact, text me immediately. You can text me now, and that'll remind me to ping you after this, um, but yeah, text me. There it is. What's up? <laughs> all right here's a question from vinnie brigance
0: her uh, question is hi tom i love the concept of anti-fragility yeah would you be willing to share one of your favorite ways to apply this concept to your life and one of the biggest impacts it has made
1: yeah so anti-fragile what you build your self-esteem around it is the most critical place to um, implement that system it changed my life it is the reason that i um, was successful and generated wealth just know two ways about it um, you need to build your self-esteem around being the learner Always being willing to admit that you're wrong and identifying the right answer as fast as humanly possible and then putting energy behind it. Those are all anti-fragile because if you're the learner and somebody tells you that you're stupid, because remember, something that's anti-fragile means not that it is resilient, not that it is tough. Those are still things that are defined by their breaking point, that the more you attack it, the stronger it gets. So if you build your self-esteem around being the learner and somebody says, hey, you're really stupid. then the only question is, in what way? Because if you tell me in what way I'm stupid now, I identify a blind spot and I can go good at that and so I'm going to get stronger um, as a result. That, that is anti-fragile right there. Um, and once you make that switch, because the world will try to attack you, some percentage, not all of it. Um, there are many amazing people in your life. But once you have an anti-fragile personality, like, nobody can hurt you because as they throw those bricks at you, you realize you can build a house with those bricks. Um, you just have to be willing to you know, take the shot to the face and then start building. So that is the most profound way that anti-fragility will serve you. Nice. Um, I want to hear a little
0: bit more before we go about your experience going to Founders, um, especially in relation to
1: your mission to end generational poverty. Yeah, so Founders is amazing. And I really, really, really please, if you are in this community, uh, no matter when you're seeing this, contact Gerard go there see it for yourself it's unbelievable so this is a guy that could be right now living on miami beach in a penthouse overlooking the atlantic ocean the most beautiful part of the atlantic ocean imaginable and instead of doing that he decides he's going to move into the ghetto and it's straight up the ghetto like when you're there i was a little uncomfortable and i was like uh this is gnarly and he would walk you from like founder's own building, building, like they're, they've taken over like multiple buildings in the, wow. in this part of this neighborhood. And he said he literally went to the worst part of Newark and started buying these buildings and turning them into amazing things. So they've got an art gallery with local artists and some of the art is amazing, man. That's I was cool. literally like, what the hell? Like, it was so cool. And then, like, seeing the entrepreneurs in the founder's building where they have live workspace. So I don't know what you have to do to qualify to be one of the people. And I think they have, like, 20 units. So one of the people that live in the building. Um, but they also have, like, a cafe so that they can get healthy food to these people. It was just wow. unbelievable. And so, um, like I was saying in the episode, I was just randomly scheduled to give a, a lecture to Rutgers. And so when he pinged me, I said, hey if you have space for me to do the lecture for Rutgers and anybody in your group wants to like hear it, um, then then we can make this work. He's like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. So imagine me like at the front of a classroom and he brings all his entrepreneurs in and I give this talk over Skype to Rutgers, but I happen to be in a crowd of whatever, there were 30 people or something um, there in the room with me from Founders. And the, it was one of the most fun talks I've ever given because their energy was unbelievable. And the only way I can explain it is having worked in the inner cities, I'm telling you, when you give someone hope who has never experienced hope, like most of the people watching this can't imagine that, but there are people right now growing up who like this is my life, right? Like have you ever seen the Reddit um, r forward slash this is my life now or whatever? Or maybe it's just memes, I don't remember, but uh, they come across my feed and I find them absolutely hilarious. So it'll be like, uh, dog and there's like eight cats like pinning him down and like licking him and it's like this is my life now yeah. uh, That's a funny version of people sell drugs on my street corner. My friends get shot and This is my life and there's no sense of oh, I can get out of this Yeah, so you're just stuck and this is my life and I remember one of the kids um, Crying because he was like you care more about my future than my own mother um, wow. I've I for the first time in my life have hope and I remember when he said that I had never realized that pe- that that these people that I was working with every day had no hope. I did, didn't even this is water, right? Yeah. Like my life has always been filled with hope and optimism and all. I had no idea that they were showing up every day like walking into a world unlike anything they knew. Yeah. And so I'm like, you can be anything you want. Like, what are you talking about? And then to hear him say like, this is the first time in my life where I've had hope. I thought, whoa, that's the vibe at Founders. Mm. You've got this this army of people who Gerard has given hope to for the first time and they're building real businesses and they're like, some of them are way far down the path. They've got branding. They've got packaging. These aren't like information products. They're physical goods and I was just freaking out because to be in a group of that many people in the middle of such a gnarly area and for them to have hope for the first time and be building things. It was just, it's unreal. And for you guys to go there and give your support and document it and encourage them and just, I want the word to get out about what Gerard is doing because it's it's important. So Gerard and I have taken two different approaches to the same problem. I believe the most scalable answer is narrative. Mm Gerard has said, okay, maybe it, this isn't the most scalable answer, but I'm going to franchise this. And I'm going to go into the heart of these places and give like a physical space mm-hmm. where people can go. And so think of it as probiotics and prebiotics, right? So probiotics are the actual bacteria. So think of Gerard as that, right? Like he's the actual colony of amazing bacteria that's going to make... Um, those neighborhoods healthy again and then I'm trying to be the prebiotic that feeds that yeah. and so when I walked in I realized wow this is such a necessary part of what I'm trying to do like somebody has to be doing what he's doing so the fact that he's doing it is, is unbelievable. That's awesome. It's great to hear.
0: Alright well uh, I think we can wrap it up. I'll thank everyone on Facebook Live and also give uh, my three takeaways which I haven't done in a while. Nice. So these are my three takeaways from the episode which if you haven't checked out please do. It's really good. Um, one is even when you lose it all, you can build it back up again. And that has been clear in Gerard's life. He's demonstrated that. So never forget that. Financial success is nothing without fulfillment, which he talks about um, very eloquently in the episode. And then the last one is, and this is toward the end of the episode, which we didn't get to discuss here, but I really liked how he said, take the time to find out who you are. And he actually gives examples of how he went through that process himself. He's meditating, he was writing a lot and he was reflecting. And that was key to him creating founders and understanding that this is really what he wanted to do in the world. So those are my three takeaways. Thank you, Facebook Live, for joining us. And if you, um, you want to check out our store, you can. Uh, we got new shirts up there, so go check them out. We got posters, too. And sign up to our newsletter if you want exclusive content from us, a letter every week from Tom. We're going to be doing some interesting stuff there later. Plus, you'll get discounts to the store um, periodically. We'll do giveaways, et cetera. So Go sign up at impacttheory.com and uh, yeah, thank you.
1: There it is. All right, guys, thank you so much. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. This is a weekly show and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening and if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community and that is what we are all about right now